us pray. Father, you have conquered the grave in your Son, and that's why you invite us here every week. Lord, as we come together, teach us how to be a place where sinners are welcome. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Do you ever stop to think about the fact that the church is the one place in this world where we come together once a week to talk about our failings? We spend about an hour every week talking about our sin, our mistakes, our failings, and then, and then of all things, we leave rejoicing. We are, as the Bible says, a very peculiar people. You know, the rest of the world would rather deny failing. In fact, if there are failings, we'd rather point at someone else. That's what happens all the time, isn't it? You know, if anything happens in our country, who's going to be to blame? Certainly not me. Or that happens all the time at home. It started with Adam and Eve. It's the woman you gave me, Right? We love to blame others. There's a story, read a story about a woman who a number of years ago was brutally stabbed and murdered by a man. He went to jail and after 20 years, this man applied for parole. And he, his, his reasoning was he was the victim. After all, she only suffered for a moment. He suffered for 20 years. It's not my fault. Church is the one place where we come together and take responsibility for our sin. We even start our worship by doing that, don't we? I am a sinner, God. By my own fault by my own most grievous fault. And here, we find acceptance. Here we find that everybody else is a sinner too, and they love us. And more importantly, He loves us. See, that's what it means to be God's open-armed family. God's open-armed family is intended to provide a place for sinners. The Bible's clear, you know. We are all sinners. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. That's what Isaiah says. Each of us has turned to his own way. And you know, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you're going to realize what a sinner you are, the more you're going to realize that truth. Take, take the example of the Apostle Paul. In, in 1 Timothy, towards the end of his life, he says, this is a trustworthy, he writes, this is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the foremost. Now I want you to know it was a long journey there for Paul. You know, before his conversion, and he describes this in Philippians, he, 
He says about himself before he came to know Jesus, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And then he met Jesus. A few years later, as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. And then a few more years after that, and he writes to the Ephesians, I am the least of all the saints, meaning all of God's people. Until finally, one of the last epistles he writes, 1 Timothy, coming close to the end of his life, he writes, I am the foremost, the chiefest of sinners. As he walks with the Lord, he goes from Pharisee of Pharisees to the chiefest of sinners. What is going on? Did Paul, as he became a Christian, start to sin more, become a a more wicked person? No, I think if you and I were to meet Paul, we would say there is a godly, devout man walking with the Lord. But see, the more he walked with Jesus, the more he realized how far short he fell. I'll give an example. Some of you are golfers. I used to think that I was an okay, mediocre golfer. And then one year I got invited to play at a really good golf course, the Colonial in Fort Worth. And it was right after they'd had a PGA tournament there, so the rough was tall, which is where I spend most of my time. I'm not a mediocre golfer. I'm a horrible golfer. I added at least an hour onto our playing time trying to get out of the rough. And we, we like to feel good about ourselves by comparing ourselves with each other. You know, I, I'm not as bad as him or as bad as her, but when you walk with Jesus and, you, and the comparison is with him, all of a sudden you realize, I am a poor, miserable sinner. And it's true. I mean, it happens to today in the Old Testament reading. I don't know if you realize, if you read the, uh, the first five chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is, woe is you to this person and that. Woe is this to this nation and that. And then he gets to chapter six. And he comes into the temple and he sees God high and lifted up. And all of a sudden it's, woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty. Happens in today's epistle reading. I mean, gospel reading, right? When when, uh, Peter is in the boat and Jesus tells the lifelong fishermen that he should put down his nets in the middle of the day into the deep water where Peter knows there are going to be no fish. And Peter argues with him a little bit. And then Jesus hauls in so much fish that that the, the two boats begin to sink. And Peter suddenly realizes who's in the boat with him, and he falls at Jesus' knees, away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Folks, that's why this open-armed family of God called the church is so important. Because, yeah, we can come here and talk about our guilt and our sin. There's something more important that happens here. Here, sinners... Come to be amazed by God's love for them. 
I, I hope that you don't turn off the preacher when I announce forgiveness to you. I want you to think about how amazing that is. That the God of heaven and earth welcomes you into his presence. And the first thing he says to you is, I forgive you. What a great statement from Paul, right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Never stop being amazed at that, that God loves you that much. That He gave His only Son. I wish I could have the amazement of a new believer every time I hear that. I remember a friend of mine came home from a, in high school, came home from a Billy Graham crusade, and he hadn't been a Christian, and he said, Wayne, did you know God gave His Son? Think about that. You know, if you fly in over the... New York, the skyline doesn't look very impressive from up in a plane. But you get down into the city in a car in the midst of all those buildings, and they're huge, right? Well, my friends, when we come here, we don't look at Jesus from 30,000 feet through the window of a plane. When we come here, we get up close and personal with Him. He comes and speaks to us. He invites us to dine at His table. To be amazed that He loves us so much that He wants to spend forever with us. Second thing, here sinners have their burdens lifted. There's a story I read about this real proud rooster. He liked to strut around the, um, the barnyard because every morning he got up and he crowed and the sun came up. And the other animals in the barnyard all came to him every day and they said, thank you for bringing the sun up every morning for us. And then one day he overslept. And the sun came up anyway. And the other barn animals said, you fraud, you had us believe and you brought it up. And he was kind of depressed at first and then all of a sudden he was relieved. Oh my goodness, it doesn't depend on me. The sun will come up without me. What a burden was lifted from that man's, or that rooster's shoulders. You know, we, we experience the same thing. The heaviest burden we carry is the burden of guilt, or shame, worry. And I know a lot of you do this. I know I do it. We continually beat ourselves up over that stuff. And I was reading a, in one of my devotion books this week, and the author said, you know, that's a crazy kind of self-righteousness. And I thought, what does he mean? Well, because we think that somehow we gotta, we got to continue to beat ourselves up so that God will love us. And we carry that burden because you know what? No matter what we do, no matter how much we beat ourselves up, you and I cannot atone for our sins. And even crazier being about that, we don't have to. Jesus did it. All of it. Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. 
He, the fullness of time, God sent his son into this world and his son came and he lived that life that you and I find impossible to live. And then he took to himself the burden of our failures and he carried it in his own body to the cross and he died and then he overcame when on the third day he rose again. We come each week because this is the place where God comes and says to us, quit carrying that load. I've already taken care of it. That's why here is also where sinners fall in love with Jesus. There's a great story from Jesus' life and ministry. He, he got invited to a uh, uh, the home of a Pharisee for dinner and all these very self-righteous religious people were there and in the middle of the dinner in comes this prostitute who falls at his knees and begins to wipe his feet with her tears and her hair. And the other people are indignant. If this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this is. And so Jesus seizes a teachable moment. He tells him a story about this these two men who owed a debt to the same creditor. One owed $50 million, the other owed $50. The creditor forgave them both. Jesus says to him, who do you think will love the creditor more? Well, the one who has been forgiven more. Jesus said to him, that's right. And you sit here at your table. So self-righteous, too proud, yet only this poor woman washed my feet. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much, but he has forgiven little, loves little. You know, that same scene gets played out here every Sunday. Only the woman of the street is you, and it's me. And we come here only deserving to kneel before him, maybe not even that. And he looks at you and me and he says, Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. How can you not love a God who loves you like that? Finally, here God gives purpose to poor sinners like you and me. Paul discovered his purpose in God's love. He said, I receive mercy for this reason that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his unperfect patience, his unlimited patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul says so people could know that if I can be forgiven and loved by God, they can too. And you know, that's the same mission that Paul gave to Peter. He, he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And to Isaiah, when Jesus made his confession and God sends that angel to bring a, a, a coal from the altar and to touch his tongue and tell him that his sins have been atoned for, he says, whom shall we send? Who will go for us? That's why. Being an open-armed family of believers is so important. God wants to use us to say to people, 
God can love them, then he can love me too. You know, in this, when the Titanic sank, there were many that made it into lifeboats. But a lot of those boats that went out from the ship were only half full. And after the ship sank, there were thousands in the water drowning and screaming for help. Only a couple boats ever came back. The rest just sat there off in the distance listening to their fellow passengers die. It can be very easy for us to sit in our lifeboat, very comfortable, thanking and praising God that he forgives us. But God expects more. He wants us to row our boats back out into the world and pull as many people from the drowning. He wants our mission to be to say to people, if Jesus has a place in his boat for me, he has a place in his boat for you. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I pray that our answer is the same as Isaiah's. Here am I. Send me. Amen? Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life that is everlasting. Amen.